I'm in a series right now entitled The Heart of Worship. And worship is literally the supreme obligation and responsibility of the church. Because when we come to church, it's not first of all about us. It's first of all about Him. And so when we come together to worship, we're here to celebrate and acknowledge the worship, the worth-ship of God. There's no one more worthy than He is. There's no one holy like He is. There's no one that deserves glory like He does. So He is God. So in this particular series, we began by talking about the expectation of worship. The expectation of worship, there's an expectation that you can have of God when you're worshiping God. Because the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat was in that place where nations were going to attack his particular country, he had nothing to stand against them with. He had an army, but it wasn't big. And he was so concerned, and he went to God, and the prophet came to him and said, the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Now think about the wording of that for a moment. What he's saying was, God says, this belongs to me. And when we are battling without, first of all, going to him and saying, Lord, this is your battle, we're saying, God, I'm going to take away from you what belongs to you. Because the battle truly is the Lord's. And the second message last week was on the topic of the experience of worship. In the experience of worship, we looked at Isaiah chapter 6, the quintessential uh, chapter in the Bible on the worship of God. Isaiah goes into the temple. It's a difficult time for the, for the nation. He goes into the temple, and the, the king Uzziah has died, and, and everyone looked up to Uzziah because 52 years he was king of Judah. 52 years. He had a great economy. He had a great army. He had a, all these things going for him. Now, his life ended in a very drastic way because he chose to disobey God at the very end of his life. But because he had died, the country looked at him like a patriarch. He was like the family of the nation. They didn't know what to do. Isaiah was in the same place, and he went into the temple not to look at the furniture, not to look at all the surroundings and all the architecture. He went into the temple to say, Lord, where are you? And he looked and he didn't see the earthly temple. He saw the heavenly temple. And he saw the Lord sitting on the throne and he was high and lifted up. And the seraphim were flying around the throne crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah looked at that and Isaiah became repentant for what he had done. And God cleansed his lips. And then the Bible says, God said, who will go and who will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. He didn't even know what the mission was. But because he had seen the greatness of God, it didn't matter what it was. He knew God was greater than any obstacle he would ever face. And it's that way in our lives today. So today I'm going to talk about something a little different. I'm going to talk about the expediency of worship. The expediency of worship. And you know, why in the world would you use that particular word to describe worship? Because God says there is something you can do and there is something you need to do. And the word expedient basically means to regard something as an advantage. To regard something as an advantage. And so when it comes to worship, worship is an advantage to us. You know, John Ortberg makes this statement, one of my favorite writers. He says, I have to worship every day. 
Because if I don't, I lose a sense of wonder. And I lose a sense of gratitude. And I plod through life with blinders on. Think about that. D.C. Gordon makes a statement. He says, worship is the right response to God. So what are the advantages of worship? When we go to the Lord and you go, are we taking advantage of God? No. God says, here's an opportunity. I've given you an opportunity, not just on Sunday, but every single day of the week. I'm giving you an opportunity to come to me and look to me and trust me. So in Psalm chapter 66, I'm going to refer to different scriptures this morning, so you may want to write these down. Psalm 66 is a call to worship. And he says, make a, joyful, make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Sing and honor his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works through the greatness of your power. Your enemies shall submit themselves to you. I worship you, God. There's no one like you. I praise you, God, because there's no one like you. So when we come to worship, let me ask you the question, what are the advantages of worship. I'm going to give you three this morning. And the first one is, worship is the opportunity to refocus us mentally and emotionally. Mentally and emotionally. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, he says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. There's something very important you need to say about that. Because there are two ways you can look right now. You can look around, which is the horizontal look, or you can look up, which is the vertical look. And because we live in a world today and we're, we're all subject to the five senses, we're all subject to things going on around us, we take more of the horizontal look than we do the vertical look. And so what, what Paul is saying, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 is, he says, set your mind, set your focus Set your focus on the things above and not on the things on the earth. There are two books that I would recommend to anyone in this room to read. They're not Christian books, but they're both phenomenal books written by Greg McEwen, who is a professor at Harvard, Harvard Business School. And he writes this book called Essentialism. He says it's important to figure out what is the right thing to do. What is the important thing to do? And to eliminate all those things that aren't that important. Go for the important thing first. And there's a second book that he has written that I'm reading now called Effortless. In that particular book, he makes this statement. He says our minds are like giant computers. I read somewhere where uh, if you put the capability of the mind in a building, it would take a building the size of the, of the, of the Empire State Building in New York City to house that computer. We have so much capability with our brains. And yet, here's the problem. The problem is our brains are like a hard drive that has too much information on it. Our brains slow down. They slow down because we're taking in all this information. We know right now 6,200 thoughts a day we have. Think about that. 6,200 thoughts a day. And all these things are coming at us in life every single day. And it forces us to look horizontally rather than vertically. And in his book, he makes a statement. He says, there's a concept in cognitive psychology known as the perceptual load theory. And he explains why we are slowing down in our brains a lot today. He says our brains are processing a capacity that's large but limited. It already processes over 6,000 thoughts a day. 
So when we encounter new information, our brains try to make a choice about how to allocate the remaining cognitive resources in our brain. How do we think about all these things? And because our brains are programmed to, to prioritize emotions that are affective value emotions like fear, resentment, anger, rejection, all these strong emotions will generally win out, leaving us fewer mental resources to devote to making progress in the things that matter. Think about that. When you're dealing with a lot of things, and today so many people are dealing with stress because I see it, I see it in my sessions, so much stress having to do with family and with, with relationships and with work and with work associates and all those things. So many people are so stressed today. And stress is a major problem that's a contributor toward resentment and anger and all these powerful emotions. So when these emotions are taking over, we, are, don't, have a, we don't have enough capability to process the things going on around us. So important. So looking up. See, when we, when we look up, when we refocus our minds, our emotions on Him, He will take care of the other things. The second advantage of worship is worship realigns our priorities, believe it or not. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus has just talked about worry. And he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. He says, you know, God, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. He says, look at the birds of the air, how, how they are always provided for. Now, two things you need to understand. You know, when lilies are growing, they have to force themselves through the soil, right? And when birds are provided for, they have to go get the food. I heard an old country preacher one time, I loved him, he made a statement. He said, God feeds the birds of the air, but he don't throw the food in the nest. That's important to understand. You know, we're going to do our part. It's very important to understand that. But it's important to understand how we can realign our priorities. You know, there are two things he says. He says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. The most important word is first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There are two compartments there. The first compartment is God's rule. Seek his kingdom. And every kingdom has a king, right? And in our kingdom today, our king is Jesus. He is the king. He is the one who rules. But he is not a ruler who, who says to, to us, you don't do exactly what I say. No, he's given us free will. And we choose to live under his rule. And when we have the name Christian, when, we're, when we say we are Christians, we are believers, we're to be living under his rule. We represent him. It's like a, have you ever seen the delivery trucks? And the delivery trucks, you know, are going around town, and, and they're, they're like, how's my driving? Then they have, you know, these numbers on there. You call if there's a problem with my driving, right? And what they're saying is, I have to represent my company well. And when we are saying we're Christians, we have to represent him well because we're living under his rule. The second compartment is righteousness. Righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You go... How can I be righteous? I try. I do my best to live. I do all of that. Let me tell you something. We can't. Jesus came and did that for us. 
He came and fulfilled the law. He came and died for our sin. He came to cover our sin and make atonement for us. And when you say yes to Jesus, He's done that. It's not an excuse to do what I want to. But what He's saying is this. He's saying that I have paid the price for you. And because I paid the price for you, don't you think you should be loyal to me and love me enough to want to follow me? It's so important to have that priority. I read somewhere where someone made a statement, one thought eliminates a thousand. One decision eliminates a thousand. Think about that. One decision eliminates a thousand. It's really interesting to me when you think about it. What is the first decision? You go, how can one decision eliminate a thousand? When you realize that God is who he is, we realize that God is all-powerful, God is omniscient, omniscient. God, is all, God is all-present. He is with you. He has the power to take care of your issues, and He has, the, he has the, the, not, the knowledge to know what you need. He will help you with that. I mean, that's who He is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. First. Someone made the statement, they, that we make about uh, 25,000 decisions a year. And a, in a 70-year a lifespan, we make 1,788,500,000 decisions. We make choices. So what is our choice going to be? What's the number one choice? What's the main choice that our choice is going to be? Seek Him first. And everything else will line Third thing, worship restores our souls. Worship restores our souls. When we go to God in worship, God is saying, I want to restore whatever you need in your life today. I want to restore that. Worship is, has a restorative quality about it, and God can meet every need. You know, the, when you think about the word restore, there are like four different synonyms that go with that, like the, 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 the word refresh. Refresh means I get new energy. Refresh means that, that I have a, a new strength in me, right? And then the second thing it means is to renew. It means to bring it back to life. Have you ever felt lifeless? Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt like I can't go on? But God says I can restore that in you. I can bring you back to life. Third word, renovate which means to repair. What's going on in your life today? What's going on in, in, in your life today that needs repair because it's, it's falling down, right? It's come apart. And then the word is rejuvenate. And the word rejuvenate, listen to this, means to make young. You go, man, I can't get any younger. I can't get any younger either. I know that. But it will give me that feeling, right? It will help me understand every day is a, a new day. Every day I can work up like, wake up like a child and go, hey, it's good. I'm ready to go today, right? So when we're restored, uh, uh, David says in Psalm 23, he says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. And David was in a tough situation during that particular time. David, according to a lot of theologians, was, was still running at that time from Saul. And in that place where he was running, he was tired. 
And he, he writes this psalm and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He thinks about, about when he was a shepherd. And out, out in the field with the sheep and taking care of the sheep. He said, no, I was the shepherd then, but God's my shepherd now. He's my shepherd. He takes me beside still waters. He does all these things and he restores my soul. Well, according to research, the soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotion. The mind, the will, and the emotion. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul writes, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When Paul talks about renewing the mind, he says three things are going to happen. He says, number one, when you have your mind, your mind mentally renewed, he says, it's going to affect your soul. It's going to affect you. It's going to take care of, change everything else in your life. It's the word that's used, believe it or not, it's the word that's used for how a butterfly is developed. You know, the caterpillar goes in the cocoon, right? And when the caterpillar goes in, in there, he creates this chrysalis around him, this cocoon around him. And then the caterpillar digests itself. It breaks down into liquid. It breaks down into cells in the liquid. And then the cells that are left in the liquid begin to make the eyes and the antenna and the wings of the butterfly. The word is metamorphi. And the word basically means to transform, to transform. And so when we are looking at our thinking, and we're looking at how we're thinking and how it changes us, it's going to change us mentally, put us in a different mindset. It does that. And the second thing it does is it changes you morally. Morally. Because Paul made a statement, do not be conformed to this world. And all he's simply saying is this, you're assuming an outward expression that it's not who you are on the inside. And what you're doing is you're, you're taking that inside of you and you're assuming that you're going to be like everyone else, but you, you know you're not that way. And so you are doing something that inside you don't represent. But when you have had your mind mentally changed and renewed, then you're going to look at things differently. You're going to go, no, what? I can't live that way anymore. I have to take my stand. I have to know who I am. And I have to represent the Lord that way. And then it's going to change you motivationally. Because he goes on to say, he, says, he goes on to say in the last part of the verse, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, when we worship God, when we go to Him first, when we magnify Him and glorify Him and give Him the worth that He deserves, then you know what's going to happen? We're going to refocus ourselves mentally, emotionally. We're going to realign our priorities. And we're going to have our souls restored by God. Lysippus was a sculptor in the 4th century B.C., he was one of three notable sculptors during that particular time. He did a sculpture one time. The sculpture was about opportunity. And they called it the bald sculpture because the back of the head had no hair on it. But the front part of the, then the, the, front part of the head had locks and it was longer hair. 
And so in his mind, he imagined the Olympics. And he thought, running around that arena, he says, that hair in the front would be there. And if anyone could grab that hair, grab that hair, they were grabbing an opportunity. An opportunity. And so worship every single day is an opportunity for us to wake up and glorify God and magnify God and say, God, this day belongs to you. You are why I'm here. And you are why I'm blessed. And you are why I will work through every problem in my life. Because, Lord, I'm coming to you first. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As we come to a time this morning where we think about what the Scriptures taught us about worship. There are many opportunities that will come our way in life. Many opportunities. And yet the first opportunity we need to take hold of is that opportunity to acknowledge and worship God first. Because He is God. He loves us so much. He wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. He wants to be with us. Could we make a commitment today that every morning when we wake up, the first thing on our mind will be to seek God and to worship God and to give Him the glory that He deserves because He is worthy. And so I want to pray with you. And if you're on, with live streaming today or you watch us through the week, would you take that challenge? Would you make that commitment today to seek Him first? Not just for what you need for the day, but for who He is. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to share your word, for the strength you've given me during this time, Lord, for the energy that I felt. Because, Lord, I know it's you. I know it's the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for that today, Lord. I praise you for that. Lord, I lift you up today because you are holy. And Lord, there is none beside you. So God, take our praise today. Let it glorify you in such a way, Father, that you will be pleased with us. For I pray this in Jesus' name.